Five years ago, it may have sounded like science fiction, but nowadays Google can make a call to your hairstylist and book your next appointment without the hairstylist even realizing that they're talking to a machine. I also regularly ask my phone to play the music I like, turn the lights on or off, turn the temperature up, tell me what's coming up in my day, and all of that is answered automatically by Google and other services like Siri, etc. So yes, AI is part of our daily life right now, and it's only going to ramp up from here. Actually, according to a conservative estimate, by 2030, 400 million jobs will be lost to AI and automation. So I guess it's only legitimate to ask, what is the impact of AI going to be on the SEO, online marketing, and online business industry? And that's exactly what we're going to do today, so let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, everyone. I am your host, Gail Breton, and together with my co-founder, Mark, we are going to be talking about how AI is going to be impacting the world of online marketing and SEO specifically, because that's something we talk a lot about. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Mark. And I know we didn't write it in the intro, but how's it going? It's going good, as always. Thanks for asking. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, if you're I, new to the show, well, by the way, there's always this like awkward intro where Gail's like, hey, Mark, how are you today? And I'm like, fantastic, Gail. And then we move on with our lives. That's what British people do, no? Like when they meet each other, it's like that's how it works in the UK. I mean, no, we avoid eye contact so we don't have to have this interaction. That's that's standard operating procedure. So Fair enough. I guess it depends on the areas of the UK. That's how French people see UK people, but I guess that's not how it goes. Uh, anyway, we are actually going to be talking about AI and how it could be impacting the world of online marketing. As I said in the pre-intro, up to 400 million jobs will be replaced by AI and automation in less than 10 years, according to predictions. Obviously, that can vary a lot. Some predictions go all the way to 800 million jobs. Some are a lot more conservative as well, so you've got to be careful with that. Uh, we've been doing online marketing for more than 10 years now, so I would hate for a computer to replace me at this point. <laughs> so we're just going to talk about how things could change, etc. And uh, we're going to try to like give you a no bullshit version of that, like just how we feel based on what we're seeing as well. We're going to try to not hype it up. I hate going all science fiction and stuff. I know people love getting excited by new technologies, but it's often overwhelming. I mean, like people expected to have, you know, flying cars in year 2000, a couple of years ago. And like, here we go. Like we have no, no flying cars or anything. So let's be realistic on this. What's your take on this, uh, Mark? So I think that there are a lot of opinions out there by various people of different sort of stature. And I think it's really important to take all of them with a massive pinch of salt. As you said before, people were predicting flying cars in the year or, or robots. Yeah. Remember the Jetsons TV show for when you were a kid? I do have a robot vacuum cleaner though. Yeah, well, it's a little bit different from, what was it, Daisy? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit underwhelming compared to that vision. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So And it did knock my microphone down as well the other day. It just went into it, into the stand, and just like completely knocked down, and I had to rebuy pieces from yeah, the stand. That's the eye in artificial intelligence then, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of what we're talking today about today, though, is trying to kind of make it a bit more practical and like what's likely or what's possible to happen in the near future. You know, we can speculate about 500 years from now what's going to, all the crazy stuff that's going to happen, but most likely we're just going to be way off anyway. Yeah, talking about what's going to happen though, talking about what's going to happen, here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen right now. It's like I expect people, if they enjoy this kind of content, to go below and click on the subscribe button if they're on YouTube. If you are not following the podcast on YouTube yet, we still do the audio version. So if you like to listen to it in your car, we're still on Spotify, we're still on SoundCloud, we're still on Google Podcast, we're still on iTunes, not even iTunes anymore, uh, Apple Podcast. But we also do a video version and we're actually live on the chat when we release it. So if you're live on the chat, hey everyone, uh, I'm on the Atari Hacker account and Mark is on his account. And uh, we would love it if you clicked on the subscribe button below, gave us, a, gave us a like, gave us a comment below as well. It helps the, essentially the SEO of the, of the podcast and helps it grow. It's done really well on YouTube so far. So thank you everyone that joined on YouTube. It's been quite fun. You get to enjoy Mark and I's amazingly beautiful face and get amazed by it. Usually what we say is more interesting than our faces, but there's still some cool stuff. We try to also add some visual elements to it when we talk about stuff, etc. So we're working on that. And uh, 
thank you for everyone. So before we get going, I just wanted to point that out. But Mark, you can take it back. I forgot where I was going until you told me <laughs> I had a face for podcasting. <laughs> that uh, you shouldn't go too crazy. That my vacuum cleaner is uh, slightly underwater. Yeah, yeah. So to, uh, when a lot of people hear the word artificial intelligence, they think of, oh, that's something which is going to happen in the future. Terminator. When in reality, yes, yeah, Skynet. When in reality, it's something which is happening now and has been happening for decades already just kind of in different ways and to different degrees. And as with most revolutionary things in life, it's often viewed through the lens of history as, okay, there was like before cars and after cars or before railways and after railways or before internet and after internet. But in reality, it took a long time, decades for the internet to gain penetration and to gain widespread usability. And yes, it changed a few things quite quickly, but most things took quite a long time. The, the rate of change was much more gradual as anyone living through it, waiting patiently to get broadband internet back in the 90s will attest to. And I think we will kind of see the same dynamic play out through AI, as it's called, and how that kind of impacts our daily lives. So it already is, and we will see it continue to possibly at an increasing, probably at an increasing pace, but it's not going to be this kind of cliff edge that, you know, the whole world just changes yeah. overnight. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the world has changed massively through like smartphones, etc. I think it'd be cool to like give a few examples of like where AI is right now uh, and how industry, like how it is in people's life and overall what it is, what is behind that quotation AI. Because I think a lot of hype is put behind that term as well, especially in terms of marketing. People have AI everywhere when it's just like a basic if this then that type logic. Uh, it kind of annoys me. I hinted at it in the um, in the Link Whisper review, I think. And uh, and so yeah, for example. I use a workout app that actually, based on all the history of the weights I've done, the reps I've done, and also a questionnaire I do at the beginning of my workout, asking like how well I slept, how stressed I am, like how well I ate and stuff like that, actually calculates the ideal weights and reps for me to do for like the workout. That is an illustration of like what AI is today. I think it's like it's it's not perfect, and to be honest, you could break down the logic pretty easily, and like it's quite conceivable to understand what it's doing. But it's doing it for me, I don't have to think about it. And that's what AI does today. It works also for like your Google Assistant, for example. If you ask it what's in your, on your calendar today, it's gonna tell you, or like when you have a free time, it's just gonna read your calendar, look at the free times, and say, hey, you can take an appointment at 4 p.m. And then it's like, that's the kind of stuff where AI is around as well. Uh, AI is also a lot in ad networks, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, all the social networks. It's made so that it shows you more stuff that you like, et cetera. I mean, you see, like, you go on YouTube, you click on three videos about whatever, and then your whole YouTube feed is taken over by similar videos or by videos by similar creators, et cetera. And it's just figuring out what you're likely to like based on the stats of people like that like these videos as well. So it's like, AI is already everywhere. It's already also, you know, um, the tax systems in France are starting to use it as well to like for all social media and actually look if look at uh, how much you declared your income is and what your lifestyle looks like. So AI is going to be used by governments as well, etc. Any other examples that you want to give or like examples of what is not AI according to you? So if you actually go back to 50 years when computers were starting to become popular, AI back then was termed as like any task done by a computer that a human would have to use some form of intelligence to accomplish. That's obviously a wide, very wide range of possibilities there. Would you say the calculator app on your computer is AI? I guess maybe back in the day they, they may have, but I probably wouldn't think of it in those those terms today. Something like, you know, the Facebook ads algorithm or the Google search algorithm or your workout app. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 artificial intelligence, most likely. Where you have to be a little bit cautious is, as you pointed out before, companies using the word AI to present their product as, hey, this is something revolutionary. We've developed this artificial intelligence which can do something which we couldn't do before. That's the brand, the brand or the impact they're trying to create by using the word AI in their tool or in their software, when in fact it may just be, as you said, a very simple, if this, then that type calculation. With your workout app, for example, how do you know that the algorithm is is good? I mean, are they measuring the results that everyone who's using it is getting and then using that to improve the algorithm? Or is it just a really simple coded thing? It's a mix of that and trainers, actually. Yeah, so I mean, the, the problem with something like that is that you don't know whether the information the algorithm is giving you is reliable, it's good, is that the optimal solution? Or have they coded it 
correctly to learn based on what people are doing and what results they're getting. It's something like workouts, you're relying on people to give you ongoing information and that's inherently inaccurate and stuff. So there's all sorts of issues there. And where I think we'll get onto later in the show is talking about data, who owns the data and how important it is and why that's so important because all of this crazy AI stuff that you hear about in kind of podcasts and newspapers and, and whatnot, it really relies on lots and lots of different input data. So if you remember this Cambridge Analytica scandal that came out of mm -hmm. Facebook a while back, they figured out that they could calculate how someone was going to vote in the US based on 14 likes. So if they knew 14 things that that person liked on Facebook, or maybe nine, nine or 14, I can't remember, they could calculate with a very high accuracy how you're going to vote. And the way they were able to measure that is because they, they knew what all these people liked and they could survey them and figure out how they voted. They could look for data in various ways. And so they could train their algorithm based on that. And so they, they became very, very astute at, at kind of understanding those kinds of things. So if just 14 pieces of information will tell you that, and Google, Facebook, Amazon, all these companies have billions of points of data about you, everything you've searched for, everyone you've interacted with, everywhere you've been, everything you've liked, everything you've said, Amazon Alexa, all of this data, even on yeah, you, you know, know. You, you wear your Fitbit, your heart rate over time and how that happened, how that changed when you're in certain situations, they can start really predicting some amazing kind of like personally invasive things. So yeah, interesting kind of phenomena. But I think we need to get into how this is actually going to uh, exactly SEOs rather than the the futurology Reddit. This is this is for the philosophy podcast. So we will be putting that on the other hypothetical feed yeah. uh, that we will one day have. But like we're gonna do two parts, right? So there's basically two parts to SEO, right? There's on one end there's Google, and on the other end there's the people that try to optimize to rank on Google. So we're gonna be doing these two phases. The first one is how AI is going to be changing Google because. If we don't really think about that, then we're going to be thinking on how AI is going to help for Google today, but it's kind of stupid because by the time we develop Google to like AI for Google today in terms of tools, then we're already in Google of tomorrow, which is actually already different. And so we're just not in phase. So it's like, you can't just look at Google today and be like, oh yeah, we can do this, 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 this. You also need to see where Google is going. So you're going kind of in the same direction. And so I think it's quite important to talk about Google first, even though uh, you're probably more interested about like what you're going to be able to do as a person. So that's the second part we're going to do. So, but let's first start with Google because I think it's quite important to do it that way. So I think the first thing that I want to think about is like there's a lot of stupid rules in terms of SEO, right? It's like, I mean, we see how well things like even surface SEO, even like keyword density, keyword, like putting the keyword in your title tag and your H1s and, you know, bolding stuff and doing alt tags, etc., feels like prehistorical to me, all these rules in SEO. It feels like it's not really, I mean, it's in nobody's interest in the sense that like it doesn't add any value if you're really good at putting your keyword in your title tag. It just helps the robot understand what the content is about so it shows it prominently for that keyword, which that's the value it adds. But for the end user from human to human, as a search engine optimizer, I'm adding no value to humans whatsoever when I'm optimizing for my keywords on my page, I'm only adding value to Google's job and making it easier. And I do think that is a big part that Google is going to be working on. It's going to be essentially, you know, getting better at understanding concepts, etc. And we see it more and more, like the exact keyword in title tag is not as prominent as it used to be a few years ago and so on. Uh, it's still, honestly, it's still kind of shitty. It uh, still feels kind of prehistorical, but I do think there is going to be a huge uh, phase out of these like you know historical factors that have mattered a lot but eventually are just not adding any kind of value to other humans i think the problem i think google can already do all of this stuff but the problem is mass processing all that data because i think and that's one thing that i want to talk about is it's very expensive to process all that data and i don't think it's always worth it especially for a free service like google search right because the only way google makes money from search is selling ads on top and collecting data, basically. That's kind of like the two ways they make money. And a lot of queries just don't have a lot of AdWords, et cetera. Like a lot of, a lot of queries do, like, you know, like very commercial queries, but like it's, it's a small section of queries. And a big section of queries, informational stuff, et cetera, doesn't get nearly as much AdWords competition because nobody's looking to buy anything and so nobody's willing to bid for these keywords, et cetera. And Google's just not willing, even if it's technically possible, maybe Google's not willing necessarily to yet put 
the amount of processing power behind processing these queries in a more refined way. And it's actually a concept that was introduced by Charles Floats to me, actually, when we were talking about the EAT updates. And he was like, yeah, I think it's just Google like implementing higher level of AI on queries that just have more value or are more prone to create problems for Google. Like, for example, the medical queries. Like, if there is poor advice on heart attacks and it ranks on page one, then it's going to kill a lot of people and people are going to blame Google. So Google is probably willing to put some resources behind that to not get in trouble. However, if you're looking for the best black beans brownie recipe, eh, there's not as much money behind that query. And is it really worth putting a lot of effort, a, a lot of expensive processing resources at this point behind these queries? It's also, I'm the, not too the, sure. There's an interesting comparison if we go back to what you said about your weight weightlifting app, because uh-huh. for certain topics, certain areas such as medical advice although it's not necessarily possible to measure the output as to whether that article helped someone get better or not from google's perspective unless like you have google fit or whatever else plugged in but like that's probably decades away from all that combining together but rather with something like medicine you know you have google scholar where there are all these research papers and i guess falsifiable records of trust as uh, in terms of like what is true, what is not true in the medical world, right? So this exists online. Mm -hmm. And they may be contradictory to each other, but if you look at all of them as a whole, which Google is able to do, again, Google Scholar and all that, then it can maybe make an assumption about whether an orange juice really does cure cancer or or not, because it's most likely to have been studied in some point. And, you know, that's an extreme example. It's kind of obvious, but you go into some of the more debatable issues, you know, around the vaccines. vaccines. And stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very um, current uh, issue right now, yeah. I guess. Uh, but it's an opportunity for vax- anti-vax to go to China and show us that we were wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but I guess my point is that it's, they have this like extra set of data about like what's correct, what's incorrect. It's very difficult to get that kind of bearing where, uh, with something like, recipes. So how would Google ever know whether which of these 10 chocolate brownie recipes is the best? Is the best one. You know, yeah. it's it's really hard from a data perspective to It's going to be based on authority probably. It's going to be based on linked data. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And uh, and it's it, that's when we fall back onto this primitive level as well, I guess. But yeah, and and I think overall like it it makes no sense for a company that makes 0 dollar on some queries to try to improve queries where they have no competition regardless. Even if someone wants to buy advertising for these keywords, I mean, people are like, you can bait on Bing, but you're not going to get a lot of traffic. So it's like, there's absolutely no incentive for them to like deploy that. But I think that they will still eventually figure out, like basically the AI is going to develop to like understand meanings more. I mean, it's what they're trying to do with knowledge graph, for example, like associating topics, et cetera. And eventually we're going to get, I don't think we'll ever get to like meaning or at least maybe not in our lifetime or something, but we will get closer to understanding that. And then like, these kind of like bullshit factors, like putting your exact keywords here and there, et cetera, probably will matter a little bit less. Uh, just um, just so as of like, like for all the futurologists out there, I, I mean, I think we will get to a point where it understands meaning. I'm pretty sure that will be in our lifetime. I think all of these questions we're talking about, even the far future hypothetical ones, they're all a case of when rather than if something will, will happen. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> let's see. Take the bets. Um, so we talked about uh, high scale versus low scale. I think another thing that's going to change things a little bit in the immediate future is 5G, actually. I think 5G is coming up and we're getting gigabits per second internet on our phones. And I think what it's going to do is going to change the way people interact with search. So, for example, uh, if you use a Google Pixel phone or a OnePlus phone or a Samsung phone, I think, you have a utility that's baked in your camera called Google Lens. And Google Lens allows you to point at a landmark, to point at a dish, to point at a dog or something like that. And it's going to analyze what's on your camera and give you contextual information based on that. So when I point Google Lens to my dog, it tells me which breed it is and it recognizes it every single time, actually. When I point it at the Budapest Parliament, then it's going to like pop up the Wikipedia page and let me read about that, etc. The problem with Google Lens is it's slow and it's not like it takes a while. Like you click on it, it's like kind of like loading for five seconds and then and then maybe you get the data. And it's like it's too annoying to properly use. 
But something like 5G will most likely solve that because you'll get instant upload, very low latency and return, provided the servers can process it fast enough. Uh, and that means that you'll just be able to like take your phone and just point at stuff and just like get data like that as you go around. So like, let's say you're traveling to a new city and you want to pick a restaurant. Maybe you will not get the Google Pack anymore. Maybe you'll just be pointing at the folk of the restaurants like that and get the data. So I think something like that, it's quite likely to work better. Uh, the Google Assistant as well will be able to cache data and upload and download stuff in the background, like gigs of data about you on your phone. And what it does is you'll be much more conversational with it. So you'll be like, hey, hey Google, what time is it? What time is it in New York? And uh, when can I get a flight to Miami from there? Uh, by the way, I would like to book a hotel that's at least 15 minutes from the from the airport or something. And it just will do all at once, right? It'll be able to like pick all of that and you won't have to like go through these steps, etc. So 5G will change a little bit the way people interact with search. And what that means, I believe, is there will either be more searches per user. So people will search more and use Google more. Or some text searches on your phone will be replaced by either lens or voice searches. So I think there will be a little bit of an increase there. Anything else you think that Google will change with AI? Yeah, so something kind of quite relevant at the moment. I think this is in the very near future. Featured snippets. So those, are, those uh -huh. have been introduced relatively recently and lots of opinions about whether they're good or not. One thing we do know is that they're, they're likely here to stay barring any kind of crazy new laws or whatever. But essentially this is Google providing the answer, taking the answer that it thinks mm -hmm. is best from your website, displaying it on the search engine's results page uh, so that people get the answer they're looking for. And in some cases, many cases, they have no need to actually visit your website. So this creates a number of issues for website owners because if you were trying to compete for that featured snippet, then you are not going to get much traffic in most cases. So I think what we've seen is phase one of that. And there are many directions that this could go. Think, for example, a, a keyword like best computer mouse. If I search for that, it's going to show me general results for what is the best mouse overall. But Google or what, wherever I'm searching for this, if they have more data on me, what I've done in the past, how I use my computer, they may be able to take lots more data points and integrate all that instantly. So think, for example, if I'm browsing Google and it knows how I'm using, like where I'm moving my mouse to the search button or something like that, it may be, they may have an algorithm that can detect whether I'm right or left-handed based on the pattern of my mouse movement and then show right or left-handed mouses and mice. And then they may also have bank feed data or some kind of data on whether I so they know how much you can from afford. my Google wallet, uh, like how much I make or how much I spend on various things. And it may show me budget options or it may show me high end options. Uh, it may uh, through some kind of like gaming interface or what games I'm playing. I, I don't know how I would know that, but it may be able to definitely not Google Stadia. Apparently, if, it may be able failing. to know if I'm a gamer or if I'm using more like office applications like Google Sheets or Google Docs, and it may then show me better mice suited towards that kind of environment. So, and none of these things are like crazy far in the future. I mean, you could imagine Google doing yeah, so do most of that. Well, right now, really. Now the trick with that is executing it in such a way that it still makes sense. So it's still quite difficult, and I don't think Google's quite there yet in terms of taking a query like that and kind of dynamically creating essentially its own best X or Y article in the SERP pulled from other pulled from maybe a mix of other people's. I results. just don't think it's worth the resources again. It's one, it's not worth the resources. And two, it would freak people out. I think there's a big privacy problem with this. Couple, couple things. So the resource issue, you may be right. I, I don't have much understanding of big data processing or anything. What I do know is that this is it Moore's law, which is like computing processing increases roughly yeah, yeah. doubles every year and a half or, or thereabouts. So it's you know exponentially getting more powerful. Your phone is a million times more powerful than the NASA computer that sent some of the moon or something crazy like that. Anyway, that means that it's, again, it's not a case of, is it worth the resources? It's like, when will the resources not be cheap enough that it's yeah. like just a no brainer yeah. to kind of do that. And then the privacy one, that is of course like a, a big issue. 
we already face that though with with Facebook ads. So do you want completely untargeted Facebook ads that are just of most likely no interest to you? Or do you want hyper-targeted ads of products that you would find really useful? Well, if the products are shit and you know they're all scammy and, and stuff, you definitely don't want that. And you're like, oh no, that's my privacy. Sounds like most of my Facebook ads. But if yeah. the products are actually good and you think, oh, actually, I that's exactly what I need. How did you know? Then there's an argument to be said that that's, that's maybe a good thing. This is one of the debates of, of this century, I think. Like, And I don't want to spend too much time on this as well. So I think, I think it's like... We gave an idea of, you know what I mean? Like we're getting off and we're still not going back to the SEO stuff. So I think it like gives you an idea of like where we think Google's going. Um, I do think everything we have from Google today will still be around to some extent. It might be used less. They might be all like, it might just stay the same. Like, you know, a lot of new things that Google introduces does not reduce like the number of desktop searches or something like this. Just makes people search for more stuff or like use their computers more, etc. In different occasions when they're driving or something. The usage of computers and phones. Exactly. So it's like it's you should not see always see this as like a replacement. Even if the audience that is connected to the internet and buys stuff is not increasing as much as it used to at some point, the number of searches and number the usage of these heavy users is always increasing. So that's basically giving you an idea of all that. I think it's important to contextualize that, where Google's going, at least from what we know and from what we've seen, so that we can start talking about what SEOs will be able to do and uh, how things will be happening, etc. So that's what we're going to do now. It's going to be a much bigger part, and it's going to concern you as a website owner. And we're, we're talking um, here about the kind of very near future, you know, this year, next year, the next five years, maybe 10 years. So actually, an example of AI that I didn't give, but I think uh, Google will be pushing more on, is, I don't know if you've seen, but when you use Google Analytics, now they have this kind of like assistant on the side, and you can type questions in it. So you can be like, um, how many people from India became leads yesterday, for example? And it's going to compute the data you have and figure that out, for example. That's an example of, and I like that is one thing that I think will be quite helpful with SEO, like, Analytics has always been complicated for people. It's You will still need to set up your goal tracking, so it's kind of like the painful part. But once you have that, Google, actually Google is also providing us with tools that are powered by AI to do better decisions. And if you haven't tried it, honestly, go and try it. It's kind of freaky. They have like pre-populated questions, so if you don't know what to ask it, just go there and like there will be a bunch of them that you can try. It will just like crunch the numbers for you and just give you like a plain text answer, which is kind of amazing. It's kind of like having an analytics consultant for free. So that's one thing that I think will happen. But I think one thing that people have been ignoring that has started happening already is uh, competitive analysis and how competitive analysis will change. First of all, let's look at it from the keyword research point of view, right? I use almost exclusively the traffic metric from Ahrefs to page to pick keywords now. Like I don't use search volume. I don't use... CPC, I don't use any of that. I just use search intent. Like, are people likely to buy when they type this query? And that's still kind of like a gut feeling thing. This one, or like, how can I angle this piece so that I can sell stuff? Together with looking at the pages that rank for that query, and Ahrefs gives me an aggregated number that is an estimate of the search traffic that page gets across all long tail variations of all keywords and figures that out. That has completely changed the game for me on how I do keyword research. I'm quite amazed that not more people talk about this. Uh, it is actually also on Ubersuggest, so if you kind of, uh, like now Ubersuggest is paid, I think it's nine bucks a month or something, but they actually have that traffic data as well. And to me, that's been one of the biggest game changer. And I do think that it's going to, the SEO tools are going to be pushing that way and SEO is going to be very much about looking at what your competitors do on an incredible level. So. For example, I think that one thing that will start happening, and honestly, I'm surprised Ahrefs hasn't worked on it yet because the QL Explorer is more than two years old, is helping you put content hubs together. And the problem with keyword tools is they're kind of dumb by this point. So like, let's say you type hairdryer in a, in a keyword tool, then what's going to come out is just like a gazillion keywords with just hairdryer in it, like a hairdryer for curly hair and hairdryer for short hair, like hairdryer that is not too hot, Hairdryer that also is a curling iron, whatever it is, like whatever you might be searching for. But it will say hairdryer almost every single time unless you look at the like also rainfall. But I think that that meaning part that Google, like we mentioned Google might get, I think QO tools will also work on that with through NLP, et cetera, and essentially figure out the concepts that go together. So if you talk about hairdryer, 
then they might, what I would love is I would love the, um, the keyboard tool to come up with like a support content ideas that are good. Like maybe what happens to your hair if you like dry them too much, for example, or like if you like, if you don't dry them versus drying them, what is the difference between an ionizer, hair dryer, uh, or like should you use uh, ionizers to dry your hair without saying hair dryer in a keyword, right? I think these keyword tools will eventually come up with these kind of ideas and actually, uh, there's a company that's attempting to do that right now. It's Market Muse. I tried. To, I actually signed up to the trial for. I re-signed up for the trial for this podcast. I wasn't very impressed, to be honest. Uh, at this point, like I wasn't. I see what they're trying to do, and I put a screenshot on the video here. But I haven't been very impressed. But they're essentially trying to do that. So it's, I think that it can even go all the way to keyword tools, figuring out sections for you, like figuring out the whole architecture of like you want to talk about hair dryers. This is all the pages that you should have if you want to be deemed relevant by search engines for hair dryers. So kind of like almost building site structures, et cetera. Anything else you want to say on so keywords or something? you think or? that surfer type tools and keyword tools will... Yeah, but for like site for multiple pages, right? So you think that those will be like essentially merge into one, one thing? It's not like surfer is really like how do you structure that one page, right? Like you give a page, you give a keyword, so if I was like, okay, I'm going to look at all the pages that rank for it. Here's everything they have in common. You should do this, right? Which is quite interesting. But as we both know, when you build these kind of like logical hubs and you grow the relevancy of your site for a topic, so and you rarely do it through a single page. I mean, if a single page gets a lot of links, maybe. But very often it happens through a content hub. So it's going to be like, you know, between five and 50 pages, let's say, for a content hub. What I'd like the keyword tools to look at is... Here's the page, like, let's say I type best hair dryer for, for dogs. <laughs> let's say that. Uh, and so I type best hair dryer for dogs. And what the keyword tool does is it goes and finds all the pages, all the sites that rank for that keyword. And it looks at all the relevant pages they also have. And it tells me, you know what? If you want to rank for that keyword, you probably should also have these five, six, seven other pages that act as support content to that page for most of the other sites. Mm -hmm. So like, do you understand? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So it's like it's suggesting the silo for you. It's it's doing this exactly. It's, it's doing what Surfer does at page level, at silo level, kind of thing. Yeah, even site level. I mean, it figures out because it's like to build your relevancy. Sometimes it's very often built by another page. Like we've seen that on several of our sites, right? We have one page that kills it and does really well, and then when that page does really well, then we can write anything that is kind of related to that topic. And the page will just like be on top. Even if we don't have links, even if all that, it would just end up being on top just because we're doing very relevant by Google and it just starts ranking us up. And I think AI will be able to figure that out, reverse engineer it, and give us keyword suggestions. It's like, you know what? If you just write about that, you'll probably rank, you know? As, a, as an SEO, what should you be doing now or in the near future to take advantage or prepare to take advantage of this? I mean, basically, you need to do this manually, right? So um, you kind of need to like look at the pages that rank, but not just look at the pages, like identify the sites that rank and then just reverse engineer maybe the internal links to that page from these sites and just look overall at the category and kind of like try to map, you know, it's not, it's not always going to be like a very well-defined silo, right? It just might be just a category page or something like this. But try to map kind of like all the topics they're covering on that and especially the topics that have links. And then you try to find the ones that are in common between these sites, right? And if like if five out of ten sites that rank for best hair dryer for dogs also have a page on ten tips on or like tips on healthcare, like um hair care for dogs, so that they have like a really nice and shiny hair, you know? Let's say that. And it's like, you know, it will recommend like vitamins and stuff like that and nutrition and all that. And like five out like you probably need that page to rank for that best hair dryer for dog page, you know what I mean? Like it's like, and that page is probably powering up that hair dryer page. And even if Google is not looking for that, it's something, it's a factor of success for the page besides that rank, you know? But a tool like Surfer will not highlight that at all. It's done through your manual research and digging. To be honest, like most people don't do it. It takes really long time. So as even mapping that on a spreadsheet, et cetera, it's, it's painful. And that's kind of like what I'm expecting AI to do is just like take all that data and make it something very short and actionable that I can just act on. Yeah, this is, this is a lot of what AI is essentially doing. Like you have an algorithm in your brain for how to do that. It's maybe not fully bottomed out in every, for every possible yeah. scenario, but 
artificial intelligence could first of all map it, predict every eventuality, test it against data outputs in millions or billions of scenarios and use that to learn and improve the algorithm and just create the optimal solution there. So yeah, super interesting if we can if we can get that. But again, is that is Google does Google already have that? Is it two steps ahead of us anyway, kind of thing, you know? Probably. I mean, I don't think Google thinks in these terms, but even if Google does not think in these terms, let's say that like hair care for dogs page just by default, like it just, it will highlight maybe a skyscraper topic that has been the reason why these pages have been ranking, you know? And even if Google does not have an algorithm that calculates that, it's still the reason why these pages rank. So it's like sometimes it's very common that Google does these kind of like announcements, like, oh, we don't look at this and et cetera. And people are like, oh, then Google said it doesn't, it, it's not that basically. But, you know, sometimes it's like a third factor that actually still makes this relevant. And it's like, I, I don't have an example in mind right now, but like, it happens very often and, and like, oh, like, yeah, I, I remember this example, right, where someone was like tweeting to John Mueller and was asking, is Google looking at domain authority? And the thing is, domain authority is the name of the metric that Moz uses to essentially give a scale of like how authoritative a website is. So John Mueller answered, no, Google does not look at domain authority. Now, what John Mueller answered is, no, we don't look at Moz's metric to decide on our algorithm. Does that mean that, I don't believe they do, but does that mean that they don't have a metric that does exactly the same, that's not called domain authority in there? Maybe, you just got fucking lawyered. And that is the way people read these Google updates and don't really understand how it works. And, uh, and I think it's, it's quite dangerous actually. So take everything Google says with a pinch of salt basically. But let's jump on the next category. Anything else you want to say on keywords before we jump on the next category? No. Uh, okay, so obviously after keywords, the next uh, category is going to be on-page SEO. And we've already mentioned Surfer SEO. There's a bunch of other tools as well. I mean, I mean, there's like uh, Page Optimizer Pro. Uh, there is Cora. There's all of these. Like they all do the same. They're kind of rising. They it's developing rapidly right now. But I think it's still just the beginning, to be honest. I think like I, I'd like to put AI in quotes because it's usually just big if this than that, right? But what would be amazing is if these tools could start looking at the changes that your competitors do on their pages and the effect on rankings, right? So imagine if I was able to go in Surfer and be like, track this keyword. And every time a competitor updates a page and gets a boost in ranking, I get a notification with the highlighted version of what they added to the page, right? Then I would be, especially if you're ranking well for that keyword already, then you are able to essentially maintain your competitiveness and just know, because it happens very often to us, right? It's like we focus on like, these keywords and we work really hard on them and then well we get to work on another project another site something like this and we come back six months later and we used to be like number two and now we're number eight or something and everyone updated their pages and we're like out of search intent and it's a disaster and we're like where's all the money and we just have to regrind that and when we do that the other side just falls back down and then we just have to it's like it's the life of SEOs right so I think and it's really not that difficult for AI to do that they just need a rank tracker mixed with uh, parsing the HTML once every 24 hours or 48 hours or every week or something and just highlight the changes. And um, I think it's going to give you a really good idea of like when the search intent of a query is changing, for example, which happens very often. I gave that example in Chiang Mai SEO, I think, of uh, we had this blog post on a toy hacker on make money blogging, right? And when we shared it, when we did it initially, it was a roundup of the income of the people that do income reports, right? So we could see how they make money blogging through the numbers and with the sets, et cetera. And at the time, all the pages that were ranking were also based on stories. Like I remember a smart blogger used to rank and it would be the story of how he started making money blogging. And there's someone else called Emeline Andrews that's also ranking for that query that also had a blog post that was telling the story of how she was ranking. And then we did really well for this query. I think we were ranking top three for more than two years on how to make money blogging. And, um, and so I just got busy. I did something else. I was like, great. Now it's time to get that passive income, right? And the thing is, the intent of the query completely changed. And I completely missed it. And one day I just go back and look at that query and we're like page three or something. And I'm like, what the fuck? And all these pages that I mentioned earlier had changed the way the post was written to be more of a list of methods on how to make money blogging. It became a list post based query. And because we were kind of like still story-based, based on the income report stuff, 
that we were out of the search intent and then our tankings rank, uh, our rankings tanked, right? <laughs> our tankings rank. Um, <laughs> and after that, um, what happened is uh, I went to Nile and I was like, I don't have time to take care of this. Can you just make a random list of stuff on how to make money blogging? Anyway, this page gets no traffic. So it's like, uh, let's see. Uh, it was kind of an experiment. So he made a list post. We are not back to where we used to be, but the, the post just like skyrocketed up in rankings as soon as we changed the the post and the search intent. And I think if there was a tool that was able to identify these changes and let me know about it, we wouldn't be here today. We would be ranking for that query. <laughs> so so yeah, I think I think this is where on-page tools are going. I think recommending updates because updating content is such so important these days is going to be the game of on-page tools. And I think this AI stuff can be really powerful at that. And I think it's within reach today, actually. So I'm quite excited. The obvious that. next evolution of that is the tool which is monitoring all these keywords and all the changes and all the positive, positive or negative impacts of each change then has a lot of data, a lot of input data and a lot of output, a lot of result data that it can kind of, in a way, reverse engineer what's going on and then pull out some consistencies like, oh, this seems to consistently equal this in terms of inputs and outputs. Exactly. So then the next step of that is you, it's not just going to make suggestions, it's just going to update your content live. And then it's like, well, we're, we're in a, a bit of a different world at that point, I think. It would just pre-write it and we just press submit, you know? <laughs> There's actually, so actually it's like something I want to do a YouTube video on. So um, there's a spinner tool called World AI. And uh, I know the guy, like he used to be like an old school Wicketfire guy that built it. And he's been working on like this kind of like uh, AI stuff for a long time. And he's like, it's still a spinner tool, but actually he just released a tool that just writes content for you. And I want to go and test that and see how well this does. I don't expect it to be good enough to be published on our sites or anything like that, but I'm just... Quite curious. It's like I'd love to like take one of these articles and then throw it in Surfer, and then even if it's like not very readable, just like put that on a domain, like an old domain or something, and see if it actually can rank or something. This is um, this is another one of those phenomenon. It's, it's, it's a case of when is this going to be a real thing, rather than is uh -huh. this going to be a real thing? When AI computers, whatever, is creating content, creating blog posts, they already do it in in some cases on large e-commerce stores for product descriptions, yeah, yeah. which are less important you know, for some obscure product or whatever. A blog post, an authority hacker, maybe we're a bit further away from that. A podcast or a video, you know, again, not out with the realms of possibility. It's, again, it's a matter of when is that going to be a thing rather than is that going to be a thing. Don't you think that when that happens, then the SEO game is over? I think that SEO will change i think it's it's always been changing like how much of seo is just seo these days there's there's all these other facts yeah yeah but like as soon as content is completely automated then yeah. essentially you can output unlimited content like the sea of content that you can output pressing a button yeah. is absolutely insane isn't it just gonna drone everything well i mean maybe we're getting the philosophy podcast uh, side of things a bit but oh yeah true yeah i mean like i think sometime in the next thousand years there would be a point where Google or whatever is around at that time uh, is connected to your brain and knows exactly what you want and what you think you want and just creates an entire world of experiences tailored for you to maximize whatever positive setting that has been programmed to You know when we said realistic in the predictions? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're getting out. It's interesting because, you know, that's, okay, yeah, that's that maybe is the death of SEO, but it's it's not like, oh, it's just going to happen you know, on November 22nd, 2023, it's going to be like a very gradual kind of ramp up to that point. And we're already, we're, it's not as if we're starting to get on the ramp. We're already on that ramp somewhere right now. You know, back in the day, there were no surfer SEOs. There were no keyword research tools. You had to do everything manually. You had to actually like... You were going on the Google Keyword Excel, actually, like the AdWords one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Market Samurai and these kind of like early... SERP analysis tools were were like groundbreaking ten years ago, and really good and useful. But you know, going back even further than that, there was there was no keyword tool at one point. There was nothing. There was just you had to kind of guess all this stuff. So we're already on that ramp, guys. But it, it's not like it's gonna. 
die off in, in two or three years. I think we're, we're a long, long way away from that. One thing which, again, I want to go on, it's kind of under the content banner, is around pricing. So we see this at the moment. Anyone who used uh, Uber or one of these delivery apps, they have uh, the surge pricing. So you're trying to get a cab somewhere and it's raining or there's a big event going on and there's, there's not enough cabs, so prices increase. And if people are still buying, prices increase more. Uh, and what that does is it encourages people who are drivers in Uber to start working so they because they can make more money. It kind of like balances this supply and demand. You may argue that they're price gouging, but you may also argue that it's a good thing because it, when people need a taxi, they, they can still, in most cases, get one. It's an, in an ideal world, all businesses would be able to charge the correct amount, like whatever the customers are willing to pay for the products. That's, that's not possible at the moment because it's too difficult to calculate or because you don't have enough data on your customers. Or if you do have enough data, you can't always display it uniquely. So think of going into a supermarket or something. You can't show me one price and the next person another price, at least not yet anyway. I think people would be so pissed off as well. Yeah, well, I mean, when Ryanair started doing this for flights, then people realized you could just go back into incognito window or use a VPN or whatever and, yep. and, and go go through it. It kind of broke the system a bit. And it, it really does, something with price is, is a really like personal thing. If you feel like you got a bad deal because of an algorithm or because of something kind of out with your control that they're trying to get the most amount of money and you haven't got the best deal, it's a bad thing. From a business perspective, it's great, right? If you, if you have enough data to determine what someone is willing to pay pay for something, then that's, again, really interesting. We already have this technology. I think it's going to roll out more and more in different ways. Specifically, if you think of you know, the Facebook ads algorithm, we pay what Facebook kind of knows we're yeah. willing to pay. So that's, the, and we're happy with it because we're getting results from it. It's still this kind of like mysterious black box thing that, that's going on. And I, I do have my suspicions that they're kind of tweaking it in maybe unscrupulous ways from, from time to time. That will become more and more a reality, I think, in the in the very, very, very I could future. imagine that. I mean, it, it's very easy to do. Like, imagine, like, we use Thrive Card for our checkouts. You could easily say, I'm willing to charge between this price and this price. And then you just have a short code for the price on your sales page yep. instead of putting the actual price. Like, it's easy. Like, the, it just puts a cookie as well on people's machine. They click through. They have that cookie. The card reads it, displays the same price on the card page and charges that price and just figures out what is the best conversion rate from these two essentially. And then just like essentially automatically figures out what is the best price for your product. You just give you a price range. Man, the software companies should just call us at this point. We have too many good ideas for them. Um, That's like essentially AI CRO. What I was talking about is more like using people's personal data or behavioral data to okay, yeah. personalize it. Where I think like really good example, which came out last year, uh, which is sort of similar to this, is something Active Campaign does, which is uh, oh, yeah. its predictive send functionality. So it can it will send emails to your list to individuals in your list at the times it predicts they're most likely to see it and or open it, which is pretty damn crazy when you think about it. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it works. It could be something really basic, like it just checks the IP of the user, or it may actually look at their history. It may look at other data across Active Campaign or from other places that it's getting data from to see where they are. I'm sure it's kind of behavior-based as well, look at when they're opening things in the past. Uh, again, this is one of the things, the more data it has, the better it gets. If it knows from Facebook which TV shows you like or for data from Netflix, or maybe Netflix is a bad idea, but from if it knows you're going to be watching a TV show at a specific time and it finishes at a specific time, maybe it's a good idea to send you an email as soon as it finishes because it knows you're going to be checking at that or something. So really the possibilities, yeah. we're, we're just at the start of this, uh, but the possibilities with, with this kind of tool is is really exciting, I think. And for most people, most SEOs, most marketers, that is a good thing uh, because you're not like messing okay the privacy thing aside like where they're getting the data from but assuming it's all legit then you're delivering a better experience you're getting your product in front of your potential customers at the right time and they're more likely to buy from you you're more likely to make more sales so maybe this is one of those things where you know ai's 
doing like on the good side, it's, it's, it's helping your business. Whereas the, the Google side of uh, featured snippet, taking away some of your traffic's on, on the downside, it's yeah. not all negative is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's why we did this, uh, this podcast that way. That's why we started talking about Google. Then we talk about like how you actually get benefits from it. I mean, it, it, a lot of things are a lot easier to do now. Uh, but for Active Campaign, actually, every time you open an email, they actually log the IP and location of where you opened. I remember checking where uh, Sebastian, <laughs> who is like uh, one of the H4 members, checking where he was because he travels a lot just by checking his profile on Active Campaign, actually, uh, and seeing where he goes on holiday or something when we send an email. So, Sebastian, don't open the email. Oh, anymore. God. I'm waiting <laughs> for all the GDPR complaints <laughs> now about us tracking <laughs> people going on holiday and stuff. Aha. Uh -huh. It's a, oops, sorry. I can cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, next, let's move on to segmentation because this is this really interesting one okay. as well. We talked about active campaign, how predictive sending can work. Where it's also quite interesting is around user segmentation. This is typically something which is very hard to execute. So at Authority Hacker, we have one funnel. You sign up, there's at, at the moment at least, there's one way to sign up. There's one series of emails you get. There's one sales funnel. There's one mailing list, master mailing list that, that people go on to. It's simple. We can, well, at least we're supposed to work on it and make it good. We don't always actually... To be frank, we need to do some work right now. Yeah, yeah, we don't always actually email people as much as we should. I'm sure many people listening to it can relate to that. That was a common issue for SEOs not, not making yep. the most of their email list. And I believe we're actually doing a podcast in the, in the next few weeks around uh, some ideas for maybe how to, to resolve that. I think Gail's doing a blueprint uh, as well for AH Pro. Yep. On, uh, on on some interesting things there, but segmentation. I'm working with some AH Pro members on this. Yeah. Segmentation. Guys like Ramit Sethi, they just straight up say, "Don't segment. It's too difficult. It's too much a waste of time. It's, it's one of these kind of features of all these active campaign type tools that sounds sexy and sounds great, but it's really hard to implement and stay on top of and manage and track and optimize." So the technology is there, but our ability to use it and implement is not great. Artificial intelligence can and will, I think, change that. It can use people's past behavior, people's individual data, behavior, and external data from other sources as well to predict kind of like what people want and show things to them. The Facebook ads algorithm is an example of user segmentation in practice, but that could happen from you could have access to that that kind of level of, of technology through something like potentially active campaign, right? It's, it's possible that in the, you can do it now, but it's kind of like manual. You yeah, know? it's like possible in the future that you'll be able just be able to like plug it into your site. It'll figure out over time which type of people or which behaviors people go through by which of your products. And then it can tailor, first of all, recommend creating new funnels or uh, new types of segments for you and then eventually it'll just automatically segment people itself once it gets kind of smart enough and a company like active campaign they'd love to sell this to you because they can charge lots of money for it and it's going to be worth it because it will in the right circumstances make you lots of money so this type of technology will become more and more available to the average person like you or i really yeah i mean as i said you can already do a lot of this stuff but there's two issues one the quality of tracking mostly because it's like pixel-based when people open their email, etc. And uh, many email clients do not load pixels. Uh, they just load um, the email in plain text, and then they don't load the HTML version, which means you can't track people, which is one of the big issues with like things like cleaning your email list, etc. Uh, you do lose people who open your emails and interact and so on because tracking is not very good. And uh, yeah, and the second one is I can't remember actually. I think <laughs> the the content which it's provide which the AI is providing to you, so it, it can seem a bit kind of like janky, like not quite right. Think of chatbots, yeah. for example, where we're at with that in in twenty twenty. Some of them are pretty good, but most of the time, you know, it's a chatbot, right? And you 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 speak to it as if you're speaking to a chatbot, trying to trigger the trigger, like type the trigger words and all that. You're not chatting to it like you chat to to a human. Your example of Siri or whatever it was earlier was uh, was, was kind of like that. You you have to ask it a very specific question in its language. Yeah. That will change, and that will also change for chatbots. That will change for content, the content which uh, AI computers can generate. And, and, and tailor to you. So it will be at the moment if you ask Active Campaign to automatically create an email that it thinks someone would like based on its segmentation data, it's probably going to write something horrible. 
but that's not always going to be the case and that will get better and better and better. Chatbots is, is another example. It's kind of a bit of a flavor of the month or at least it seemed to be a year, year and a half ago. It's still hot, actually. I want to play with it more. It's something that uh, I want to relaunch a bunch of lead gen campaigns and uh, it's chatbots is definitely high on the list, actually. This is another thing which needs a lot of data. So whenever you go through Amazon support, I was using them last night. I, I, they sent the wrong product or it wasn't as described. So I went through it. Before you get to the support person, now there's a chatbot that you have to go through and they try and resolve your your issue. You can still get to the support person, but it solves a lot of the, or it can solve a lot of the, the basic problems. And you can give feedback whether it solved your problem or not. And they will use that to improve the kind of flow through the, the, the chatbot decision tree. Uh, so again, a lot of these things just, they need more processing power, but they need more data, more time, more kind of feedback from users to, to get there. Another thing that can be improved, I think, is link building, actually. Yeah. I think link build, I mean, the question is, is link building still even going to be relevant or as relevant in, you know, like seven, eight years? But I think there's like some easy ones, like filtering relevant links, for example. So like you go in Ahrefs and they show you your links and it's just like, a big soup of links with like a bunch of Chinese spam sites mixed with uh, some relevant ones and a few really good ones. And you don't really know which ones matter and which ones don't matter. Obviously, we don't know through Google, but we can get a good idea, right? It's like the Chinese forum spam link. It's probably a little bit less important than the link that is on the body, in the body of the Huffington Post, right? So I think like being, and I think this is where I'd like AI to work, is like filtering what is the most relevant, like just throw a bunch of data at it. And then just like, it just like, okay, this is the important stuff you should be paying attention to just because I can't have comprehend everything in my head across everything I do. Uh, here's what you should be paying attention to. Oh, look, one of these important links just dropped. Like this site just dropped your link. You should probably go and fix it. Versus highlighting like 50 or 60 links that dropped. And then I'm like, well, I don't really have time. I'm not really going to take care of this. And then I just lose important links, you know, instead of, um, instead of like actually have the AI just highlight which ones should probably not be losing because they probably matter for my rankings. I also think that understanding the value of links that drop in the context of page rankings is quite important. So like, let's say, like, for example, if I have a link that drops from Authority Hacker's homepage, I'm like, like, I don't care. It's like, we just rank for Authority Hacker on, uh, on the homepage. It doesn't really matter. However, if we have, let's say we don't, I'm not going to give an example of something that we do, but uh, let's say we rank for like best keyword tool. And then we start losing like one or two links to that page. And it's quite important to me because it is a very competitive query and I need all the links I can to actually maintain my rankings here. Well, I'd like the tools to like be like, well, the links to this page, they dropped and you kind of rank high already and there's a lot of competition below you. So you probably should be working on replacing these links. However, these links are your homepage yet. Some of them were good, but it's like much more indirect than, than the links to the uh, QL research tool page. So that kind of data... I think uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to make the it's going to make the SEO job much easier. Like I find the difficulty with managing a lot of SEO stuff is just it's just the amount of stuff you have to deal with, the amount of pages you have to think about, the amount of content, the amount of links, etc. And sure, you can build a team, you can do all of that. But the thing is, usually the strategy comes from one person, right? And then it just gets distributed as tasks to other people. And so there's that one person on top that kind of needs to have everything in their heads. And the bigger the project gets, the more complicated it gets. And that's where a lot of mistakes and missed opportunities are created. And I expect that SEO tools will be able to assist that one person so that they can distribute the right tasks to the right people in their team so that it creates the most value possible, which is really not the case at this point where SEO tools just dump a bunch of data. It's like, figure it out, you know? It's like, you just like try to sort it out in Excel, et cetera, but it's it's still kind of not perfect. You might be missing corners of it, etc. It's also um, the kind of that one sort of SEO strategist role you, you described. Quite often, the reason or one of the reasons they're in that position is because they have the the knowledge and experience to have these kind of like internal algorithms in their head, like what's a good site, what's a bad yeah. site, what's a good link, what's a bad link. I always find it really challenging when someone asks me oh, how do you know if it's a good link or not? Because I find it very difficult to say absolutely what that is because yeah. there's so many considerations. And I guess I've never really taken the time to really break down all of the factors and kind of weight them or, or anything. I'm not sure if I even could because there's probably some I don't, I'm not but consciously all the time aware as well, of. Right? It's yeah, yeah. But it, it's like a complex algorithm and computers are 
quite good with enough data at being able to document and specify exactly what that is and improve it, uh, improve the little details which we we wouldn't think of or, or, or consider. Uh, so we talk about AI replacing cashiers or taxi drivers or, or somewhat basic jobs. I mean, depending on your perspective and you may think, oh, I'm an SEO strategy, that's never going to happen. That's that's not the case. You know, that is yeah. possible that tool is probable that tools will start to be able to do this, what you're doing slash a better job of it uh, in the in, in the not too too distant future as well. Another good example is a bit of a segue is user experience design, right? When we create a website, we a certain amount of kind of pre-existing knowledge about what works, what looks good, what converts, how people are going to use it that we have. This evolves over time. Nobody's really using frames on the website anymore, for example. We have a lot of data of how people are using the website. So if you have Hotjar or something like that installed, you can see where people are moving their mouse, where they're clicking. There are certain tools which uh, can track how people Hotjar, yeah. um, move their eyes around a site. Obviously, you know you need to have specialist equipment and stuff for that. There was a company in Hungary, actually, that did that through someone's webcam. They had oh, yeah. technology to do that, obviously with their permission. But that's kind of an interesting <laughs> set of data that you can collect. So it stands to reason that if you have all that information and information about where people are clicking, what people are buying, you will be able to analyze all that data and make improvements based on it. Now, my understanding is that when a designer does that at the moment, they're kind of looking at things like a heat map and saying where are people clicking or trying to click and making adjust, small adjustments based on that. But it's still quite a sort of guessy human algorithm, yes. like inaccurate decision-making process. Whereas it's taste-based, it's very much like it's art, you know? Yeah, whereas, whereas a computer can actually just like figure out what the, what the actual optimal solution is that for that is and then make recommendations or even one day just build a website that's optimized entirely for that. Actually, Ezoic does that already. So Ezoic, you're allowed to tell them, you can take over my WordPress theme, just display my content, and then they just test different layouts to maximize ad revenue. So it's only for ad revenue. It's like, but um, they already have something quite similar. That Most of the layouts look not the best, to be frank. <laughs> but uh, I remember Jamdistrat tried it and got increased revenue. So uh, it works, you know? Um, so yeah, that is one thing to do. Um, I think it's like, I'm going to just do a small one, but I think on the technical side, it's going to be the same as well. So I'm thinking about the, the Ahrefs site crawl thing, site audit, but it also works for Screaming Frog. And the thing is, they give you a massive list of stuff. They're like, oh my God, you're missing 300 meta descriptions and 200 title tags, etc." I'm like, great. And then it's like, figure it out. Again, I would like, and I believe that these tools can figure out which pages are the most important based on these traffic metrics, based on number of links pointing to that page, based on you know numbers that are already existing out there. Like the, yeah, there's a lot of things that they can be looking at, number of comments or whatever, and then tell you here's the super high priority stuff, here's the medium priority stuff, and here's the stuff that's bad. But honestly, even if you don't fix it, it's probably not going to change that much. And uh, again, I think this is something that will come to these tools and it's going to be very easy. I think a lot of these tool companies, because there's no demand for it, right? Because you guys are buying these tools regardless of whether they do that or not, and you're not really demanding that kind of stuff. They're not really pushed to develop this stuff. But a lot of these things are already clearly possible and could improve SEO quite a lot. And actually, it kind of depends on like which one comes first. Does Google push this kind of like automation stuff first and shrinks your traffic or do tool companies push and then help you expand your traffic so i do believe that it's also a responsibility of the people who essentially are the customers of these companies to uh, demand these kind of things even if it's going to take some time even if it's going to be difficult all of these things are quite possible but yeah on the technical things i'd like a side of things rather i would like to see these companies do that yeah i want to talk about data so you'll hear many people say how, how data is the new oil or data is king or data will be king in the 21st century. I mean, I think that's very, very true. A lot of what we're, we've talked about today and a lot of what AI relies on is large sets of, of structured and organized data. It's something which we have firsthand experience of having a, a tangible benefit by collecting early on, even when we didn't know we were going to need it. Four years ago, I think it was, uh, maybe even longer, we started doing a bunch of outreach-based link building campaigns. 
we were really meticulous in collecting data about the results of all of those. So who was linking to us, uh, what we did to get that link, how long it took us, the messages we sent, the subjects, all this kind of stuff, we, we collected it and we have a big database of, of all of that and we, we still use it to this day. At the time, we had no practical use for it. We were just getting more links. All we needed, wanted to do was get more links. But recently, uh, last year, we actually started doing some analysis of that data to figure out how long it was taking or what type of messages were actually working or what type of sites, uh, the DR of the site, for example, we should we should try an outreach to in, in which situation. And we were able to get, because we had so much data, we were able to get some really meaningful kind of insights into that and then use that to adjust our link building campaigns in future. This was an entirely kind of manual process. Okay, we had to, Michel, do the data analysis. But actually, I'm going to point, I'm going to put a card above here. If you're on, if you're on YouTube, you can click and go see that blog post. Yeah, but the, this is the kind of thing which you will need a lot of data for all of these AI tools to have learning algorithms to, to be able to understand what's going on. So it's it's worth being very structured about what you're doing, about your customers, your users, uh, whatever else you, it is you're doing to have as much structured data as possible because it's going to be useful at some point, even if you, you don't see use for it at the moment, I guess. Yeah, I agree. It's like, um, I know a lot of like people who are doing really well and their main focus is data and they've been collecting as much as possible. People that add an absolute ton of like hidden fields, for example, on their opt-in pop-ups so that they see where people came from and which campaigns, et cetera, all of that, which social network, stuff like that, so that when they buy, they see it in their CRM and then they can double down on what's working. And these are the people that are doing the best, actually. So I think that's basically it in terms of this podcast. We've talked about how Google is probably going to change through AI and how the tools we use and SEO is going to change. Overall, I don't think in the short term, SEO is at risk or anything. I think it's going to be fun, actually. I think um, having these tools, is going to be great fun. It's going to enhance the stuff you can do. And the people who embrace these new things faster will probably be having a big competitive advantage because, let's be honest, a lot of SEOs now, they're like, getting older and they don't like change very much, et cetera. And as a result, if you're able to embrace these tools, as we've seen for things like Surface here, et cetera, for example, uh, you will be able to get a competitive advantage. A lot more of these tools will be coming out in the future, so you need to watch out for them. I know a lot of people are kind of like cheap on software, but the truth is software is often much cheaper than people. And there is value in hiring people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, uh, if you start being cheap on software, then don't even look at people's salaries because you're going to like, want to kill yourself but like you will you will get a lot of value out of adopting these things being willing to invest the time to set them up properly and be a f an early adopter of these kind of like new ai technologies which i do believe at least a couple of those that we mentioned in this podcast will be coming in the next 18 months or so uh, i'm pretty sure i'm gonna get a message from tim or something to talk about this stuff as well later by the way tim was supposed to do this podcast with us but um, didn't want to do it <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like, this is the kind of stuff that you need to jump in. I think you'll get a lot of value. If you enjoy this podcast, if you're on the audio podcast, you can just subscribe. We are on SoundCloud. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. So you can subscribe there. And if you're on YouTube, there is a subscribe button just below that video right now. So you can go and subscribe to this and Click on the bell as well so that you don't miss any video. Give us a thumb up, helps with the SEO. Drop us a comment, also helps. Like, you know, even if you liked it, just let us know. It always makes me feel good to see nice comments. So thank you for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. Bye.